Hey, kitty. Hey, kitty. What's up, kitty? Yo, kitty. Talk to him, kitty. Hey, baby. Hey, babies. Welcome back to Talk to Me, Kitty. We are here with another episode and another special guest. We have Theresa Moody. She is a LPC based in Dallas. Her practice is life and beyond counseling. And she's in a different element today. She's usually the one in the seat who's speaking to other people through what it is that they're going through, their life experiences. Theresa, it is nice to meet you. It is really nice <laughs> to be here. A little anxious, a little nervous, but I'm really happy. <laughs> what you anxious about? It's it's the sitting in the, it's like a client seat yep. for me. So it's like, okay, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to say? You That's know what? what it feels like. I had that moment with one of the guests and I'm like, I feel like I'm in therapy. <laughs> This is different for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had that moment so I completely understand how you feel. Cool, cool. But it is a pleasure having you here. Thank I you. I am excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Let's get warmed up and familiar with okay. each other. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm Theresa Moody. I am really originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay. So I've been in Dallas for about a good 11 years now. Mm -hmm. And I just made my mark as far as I came here to finish school. And I got my counseling license and I started my practice during the pandemic. Yeah. So it was really just me making my mark as who I am. Um, I'm a lover of food, friends and family. And I really enjoy my passion in counseling. So that's it. that's really the gist of me. Lover of God, woman of God. Um, I'm ministry led. So okay. that's who I am. There we go. Yeah. So what led you to move to Texas? My sister was here first. Okay. And when I graduated from Western Michigan back in Mich back in Grand Rapids, um, Kalamazoo, actually, it was just a matter of where do I want to go next? Right. I know I didn't want to stay back home. And right. my sister always opened up the door like, you can come here, look for schools. So once I found a school here in Dallas that took a right. counseling program, I figured I'll just go with it. And then once I got my degree, I was like, I ain't going back home. You know, right. in a metroplex coming from Grand Rapids is totally different as far as bigger city, bigger yeah. opportunities. So I figured I might as well stay. That's a big jump. I can only, okay, so you're a counselor. Mm -hmm. You're always working with people through their problems. Mm -hmm. What do you do to work through your own? Um, the biggest reason, I go to therapy. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing that I always used to say, I can't be a therapist unless I'm working on myself first. Yes. And so outside of the power of prayer and reaching out to just like my mom, my father for supports and close friends, I really seek therapy and right. I try to implement like counseling skills that I do with my clients. Mm -hmm. I try to practice them on me just to yeah. see if it'll work. I can't give y'all like no dummy <laughs> missions. So I try to practice it out first for myself. So that's really how I try to fill my own cup. But that don't mean I don't struggle with that. Like I really fall short in many areas with making sure that my cup is full. Because we're human. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that sometimes people forget that we are human. Yes. It's almost like they see us with these superpowers and it's like, Hey, I still have my moments too. I still mm -hmm. have my hardships in life. I still become dysregulated. Mm -hmm. I still have my lows, not knowing how to navigate my highs. I still have my doubts. Still human. Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your upbringing. Give me a little backstory to that. My father is a pastor. My mother is a nurse. So I really grew up rooted in the word. And I am the baby of four. Oh. So like 10 <laughs> and 8 years apart from my siblings, it was like I grew up like an only child. Oh, wow. And then growing up in the church, as if you're the only child, you just get all the attention. Yes. And I think a part of that being the tension in the spotlight, 
I really think that shaped me as to who I am now, mm -hmm. both good and bad. Right. Because now I care too much about image. Yes. And that's where I fall short at. So coming up, it was always about, you know, love God, love your family, right. be kind to others. Um, somebody's mean to you, just tell them you love them. And it's like, no, mom, mm -hmm. that hurt. Why I got to tell this person I lo love them if they hurt me? And that has trickled off mm -hmm. into adulthood. Excuse me. If somebody hurts me, I just have to turn the other cheek because mm -hmm. that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. So even in the midst of like my childhood and everything, I think that's what shaped me as to be a dynamic therapist. Because mm -hmm. I'm pretty dope. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think um, a, a lot of our experiences shape us into our right. career and what right. we choose to do with our lives. So um, just very loving, very spoiled, very babied. Yeah. But a lot of things I was coddled and privileged to the point where moving to Texas was a big shock for me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to, it sounds weird, but I wanted to be able to experience some type of struggle without being so codependent on my parents. Right. My parents did everything for me. They still do look out for me. And that's mm -hmm. a blessing. I ain't not even trying to front on the fact that I have parents who can look out for me when right. needed. That's a blessing. That's nothing to be ashamed of. But I still wanted to be able to prove to myself that I can get it on my own. So let me ask you, because with your dad being called to ministry mm -hmm. and then with your mother having a career in the medical field, mm -hmm. nursing, were you overprotected or sheltered by chance? Mm -hmm. Everything. I couldn't even go to parties without my mama wanted to go to the house <laughs> to meet the parent of the party. Like, what? No. Um, yes, I couldn't go to sleepovers all the time. I only had selected houses that I could spend a night at. Growing up, under as an adult, you understand the right. real meaning behind that. Of but at growing up, it's like, why? Right. And I am I am reserved in many areas of my life. And I think that's because of how I was raised. Mm -hmm. My parents shielded me from a lot. Right. Even when it came to like racism. Mm -hmm. I was born in Grand Rapids. And Grand Rapids, it was the sense of... It wasn't a culture shock of racism. However, my father was really protective over that, even though right. he tried to instill certain values in me. So I could be oblivious. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's a good thing at times to being treated unjust yes. by a counterpart of a white person's, yes. right? So it's many things with that. Shelter, overprotective. I call my parents for everything. It's mm -hmm. like, I need to be able to stand on my own. And see, that's the thing, because when we talk about codependency, I don't mm -hmm. think that people realize that it can come from that as well. Mm -hmm. Not discrediting parents. We're not trying to. Whenever we have these co these conversations with codependent individuals, we're not discrediting your parents. It's just when you are protected from the reality mm -hmm. of life, right? It actually makes you more naive. Mm -hmm. And... There's a lot of things you don't know how to navigate without your parents. And so you do get into that pattern of codependency. Mm -hmm. I always need them now. So trying to learn how to be autonomous or to operate in your independence becomes hard. Also setting boundaries as well, because you've always had to honor your parents' boundaries, not really, not really being able to establish boundaries for yourself mm -hmm. because you had to meet your parents' needs. Mm -hmm. Has your codependency showed up in your adulthood? That is the story of my life. Everything you just mm -hmm. said. I asked my parents, I am 33, and I still ask my parents for permissions on certain things. Right. And it's because I don't feel like I fully learned what boundaries were mm -hmm. until I dived into the counseling field. Right. Because whereas 
you know, if my mom wants to know something, I feel like I have to tell her. Right. You know, the Lord don't let nothing slip up on you. So my mama <laughs> got to know it before the Lord tells her. <laughs> That's just how I was. So, yes, it was very much so of that. I don't feel like I've learned true boundaries. And I'm still learning boundaries mm-hmm. because I... And that's, I think that's the biggest thing when I work with clients on, you know, enforcing boundaries because it's something that I struggle with Mm -hmm. and I know how to be able to work through it based on the skills that I'm trying to gain for myself too. And so the thing is, as a codependent individual, Mm -hmm. right, because that's what I specialize in, Mm -hmm. right? So being codependent, not trusting your judgments, it's going to get in the way of you setting boundaries as well. Mm -hmm. I haven't learned how to trust my own judgment because I had parents that I were able to trust when it came to my decision making mm-hmm. and where my life was going to go. Right. And so in my adulthood, especially when we're talking about like interpersonal relationships and things like that, I second guess myself. <laughs> I question myself often. Mm-hmm. Have you done that? Friendships, relationships? All of it. Um, I think the biggest thing is. My my parents are senior citizens. Like mm-hmm. I love my babies. And my mother and father, my mainly my father always tells me, We're not gonna be here forever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an indicator of letting me know that I really do have to start doing things on my own. Mm-hmm. However, I think I lean on to their judgment before trusting my own mind. Right. Um, especially in the relationship aspect in mm-hmm. dating. It's like, okay, what would my parents think when my with my father being a pastor, I think mm-hmm. I put him on a higher pedestal than he puts right. himself mm-hmm. because his image is he was a former city commissioner back home mm-hmm. and his image is always a public figure. So I'm right. thinking I have to make sure I date to fit in the image of my father mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to the image within myself. Right. As opposed to what I like, my own desires. Right. And my dad often breaks that down as this is your life you have to live. Stop right. calling me and your mama. Like, <laughs> flat out. Stop calling us. And it's like, how do I stop calling you? Oh. I always had y'all to rely on. And that's what I'm learning. Even my siblings, like with, I have two older brothers and one older sister. They often tell me too, you can't call mama and daddy for everything. Okay, so I'm going to call y'all. So, so who, <laughs> who's going to be that outlet? And they really pushed me to be like, no, you have to make this decision on your own. Right. So that's something that, honestly speaking, I could still struggle with. My parents still coach me on. I still go to therapy about it. Right. So that's the biggest thing. And then even with you being a pastor's child, Mm -hmm. I really don't like saying it that way, but that's that's what what it is. is. Pastor's child with these high expectations, Mm -hmm. high church or, you know, religious expectations, Mm -hmm. just with people in the church, they're going to have high expectations of you because they have high expectations of your father. Mm -hmm. Right. Feeling like he set the moral foundation for you and you're supposed to honor that. Almost in the sense where you can't have any flaws, you can't show any mm-hmm. imperfections, things like that. And so did that like create maybe any perfectionism in you or you can just take it from there? Did I feel like you that? in my head. I may yes. be a little in your head. <laughs> because it's so funny. My boyfriend just told me last night, he said, the way in which you operate, you operate as if people are supposed to act like you were raised. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no, that's not true. He's like, no, if somebody doesn't do something the way you believe it should be done, Mm -hmm. you're crying or Mm -hmm. you got a whole attitude. And I think that's just a matter of, it's not the matter of if I think I do it, it's right. I grew up in a household where all eyes was on me at the church. So I felt like I had to be the image of perfection, whether that's 
oh, I'm on the praise dance team mm-hmm. and I got to be the most spiritual praise. And praise mm-hmm. dance is my jam, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I have to be the most spiritual person out there receiving right. the Lord or I couldn't sing, but whether it's I'm serving in the ministry, right. I had to make sure I'm seen. But then that's a lot of pressure too because it's like, now I'm dabbling in all these different things to uphold an image of my father when I'm still struggling to find out what I really like for myself. And that's the thing. So you never really had a chance to cultivate your true authentic identity of yourself because of the societal pressure that was already there. The pressure that was placed by parents and the pressure that was placed by society. You're seen in this lens, right? Mm -hmm. You have all of this pressure of the world. And then here comes this flood of maybe these feelings of inadequacy. I have to go above and beyond for my work to be established. Who am I? I don't really know because I'm trying to be what you need me to be. I'm trying to be what you all assume Mm -hmm. I should be. And so when you do that and you start having those, it's not an identity crisis, but it's just an underdevelopment of identity, right? And then that shows up in different spaces Mm -hmm. as you continue to grow. On top of that, your perfectionism is going to show up. We have have self-oriented perfectionism, which is where I have expectations of myself, which truly comes from a feeling of inadequacy, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have others-oriented perfectionism, where I feel as though you should meet these expectations. I want you to be perfect. And it's very easy for us to create ideas of other people. Like I see you in a perfect light. You have to do this. And it's really just a projection Mm -hmm. of either what you want of yourself or what you see yourself as. And then you have socially prescribed perfectionism where you feel as though everyone wants you to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So if you have internal pressure yourself Mm -hmm. and then the societal pressure as well, then it becomes, who am I? It's really, it's a constant battle. Mm-hmm. I actually had a therapist years ago um, who gave me an assignment that said, who am I? Mm-hmm. And I will never forget one of the lines I said, I am a person who constantly fits the mold to the people around me based on what I think they need right. from me. Right. And that, and she was just like, when she read it, she was like, I wonder how, what did she say to me? She was like, I wonder how that must be. Like, that's got to be draining. Mm-hmm. And it probably took me years later now to understand what that draining of constantly fitting the mold to everybody else mm-hmm. means, especially when you break it down in that manner. Right. I feel like for myself, the identity came from I I don't really always know who I am. So I try to fit the mold of who I think my parents want me to be. Right. My parents counter that with, we are who we are. We need you to be who you are. Right. So I pride my parents on always trying to make me find my own identity mm-hmm. and not latch on to who they are as pillars in the community, in the church, and et cetera. So now as an adult, it's me struggling with who I'm supposed to be for myself right. versus who society and who the social aspect think a counselor is supposed to act. Right. Or my father is still a pastor. How is the, the PK supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. And even in the midst of that, that's where I struggle with. Right. Who am I supposed to be versus who um, society wants, uh, society or social norms wants me. Right. I struggle with social anxiety real right. bad. Right. Like, and I think it's because of that aspect of being in the church, going to church mm-hmm. on not only Sundays, Wednesdays, Friday nights for women's Bible study, mm-hmm. and then just being there for long periods of time, the capacity, that capacity. I enjoyed being at church. Right. But I couldn't figure out what my true likes and dislikes right. was because I was just doing what I was told. Constantly feeling like people are judging you. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I feel like I can do nothing at home. So what do you, today, where mm-hmm. you are in this position now, what do you think society's perception of you actually is? Mm, I think for today, 
I'm not sure if I care. Mm-hmm. And it took, and it, it, I struggled with that back and forth because the whole mantra of my my practice is be who you are, right. not who you think they want you to right. be. And I, that really took that from myself. Mm-hmm. So it's like the constant development of who is Theresa going mm-hmm. forward as a private practice owner? Who is Theresa going forward as, you know, going to doctoral school? Who is Theresa outside of who does people want Theresa to be? I was always nice. I'm still nice. But I think my niceness has a lot of nose now because people walk all over me. Right. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that I can say about myself as not being the therapist, but just being the human. I get walked over like crazy and I couldn't understand why, because I grew up in a space where I just had to be nice to people. And I had to make sure I do what I was told. Mm-hmm. Or if people in the church was nice, nasty, because you got some nice, nasty people of in the church. Course. They wasn't like that to me, but yeah. I've seen it around me. And I just had to adjust like, why are they acting like that towards them and not me? Right. Oh, don't worry. You're okay. But it's not okay. So I just learned to keep my mouth shut. And I think now that I'm trying to use and assert my voice in spaces People who are used to me just being quiet, they're uncomfortable with it. Right. So it's really me trying to find out who is Theresa now as a grown woman, um, not depending so much on her parents' judgment, because my daddy is really trying to cut the cord. He said he cut me off next year. I hope not. And so <laughs> even with Dad, that, please. That's, that's the goal for myself right now. Okay. If I stripped you mm-hmm. of your labels, if I stripped you of your license, if I stripped you of your title, mm. if I stripped you of being a pastor's child, who are you, Theresa? Ah, uh, Theresa's just a silly girl who likes to dance, mm-hmm. crack jokes, make people laugh, chill, lay back. I just like to just be out the way. Have you always been able to show that side of you? Not always. Mm-hmm. I don't think I. Um, people would never even know it until they just sit down and start talking to me and get to know me because I have a permanent guard, I feel like, that I'm trying to work through breaking down. Right. Because I don't trust people. Right. Where's your... Inability to trust people. Where is this distrust coming from? It comes from always being nice mm-hmm. and then always getting burned for my niceness. Okay. So I don't know. Um, you trust people to be themselves until they show you otherwise. Mm-hmm. Then you trust what they show you. And even in the midst of what they show you, I still try to see the good. Right. And I will never forget, I had a friend long time ago. He said, you always try to see the good in people. Sometimes there's no good to be seen. And I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. No, there is. It's just something that's blocking it. Right. But I think now as I've been older, because I'm always trying to see the good, I think always trying to see the good has burned me. So it caused me to put up a permanent more barrier that blocks it. So that's where that comes from. I, I'm afraid to really trust people. But when people, I do let people in and we get close, we talk, we hang out. The next thing you know, you do something different that derails what I learned. Right. It just takes me back to... I'm cool. I don't need nobody. I got my parents. Right. I got a few close friends. I don't want to be want to open my circle. Right. But I think that keeps me bound from connections. Right. And I desire connectedness, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid of rejection. So fear of rejection is blocking your ability to connect mm-hmm. with people. And you were talking about you being nice and, and things like that. So there is one question that I do have in regards to that. With you not being able to trust people and being able to connect, of course, we know there's a difference between being kind and being nice. Mm-hmm. Was your niceness tied to how naive you yes. were kind of created to be in a sense? Or I don't even like to say created, but kind of conditioned to be? Conditioned. I think that's more okay. so conditioned um, with the sense of, yeah, 
my niceness is naive. Mm-hmm. I have a best friend. Um, his name is Evan. He tells me all the time. I just be so worried about you in the world because you just don't see people for who they truly are. Right. And I'm like, what you mean? He's like, no, this person is bad to you. Right. This person has done these multiple things to you. You keep giving them another chance. It's like, because eventually they're going to turn around. Right. And even in eventually, even in their turnaround, they can still do something. But me, I'm like, oh, it's okay. I, I, I waited too much time right. to cut them off. So now they just got to stay. And he's just like, no. <laughs> Is your safeguard, do you believe that the safeguard that you have when you put up these emotional walls, do you feel like that is something that is a conscious practice of yours or you're doing that subconsciously? Uh, It's a conscious. I'm intentionally. Okay. You're intentionally doing it. Mm -hmm. So there's a dissonance. You have a desire to be connected, but the fear, was it fear of rejection? Mm -hmm. Is that what it was? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have a desire to be connected to someone, but yet... I have this fear that paralyzes me mm-hmm. from connecting with people because I'm assuming that they're going to reject me. So when this assumption comes up, what do you tell yourself when the desire is there mm-hmm. and you, maybe you're acting in ways that can get you connected? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, of course, fear creates avoidance, but there's usually an assumption that you have. So what do you typically tell yourself? What's the inner dialogue that you have? Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. That's it. Because I just feel like, uh, based on every interpersonal reaction that I've gained, if I became friends too quick, mm-hmm. it's like it went left mm-hmm. just as quick. Or if I took a long time to warm up to you, it still may have turned left. So I feel like I have a blind spot, and I don't know what that is. Do you feel like connections just within itself would possibly bring on pain? Just... Is it certain connections and like themes, like as far as like romantic relationships, mm-hmm. or is this across the board? It's across the board. I have an anxious attachment style. Okay. As quick as I get attached to you, there's something in the back of my head that tells me you're going to change on me and you're going to leave me. My parents never left me. My siblings have never left me or switched up on me. But just interacting with people, like I remember in preschool, Mulek mm-hmm. Park. I had a friend, don't even remember her name, but I thought she was my friend. And this girl made me do something as far as give some of my stuff to the next girl to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was because she wanted to be my friend. But truth be told, she was bullying me. Didn't know what bullying back then was mm-hmm. in the 90s. But it's a matter of, if I can re- recall that specific event as quickly as something in people-pleasing, Mm-hmm. And how that stuck with me, I look at my friendships and how I'm always trying to go above and beyond to make sure you stay my friend. Mm-hmm. But that don't mean you like me. Mm-hmm. It just means you like what I can do for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I struggle with going forward, even more so through high school, college, and as an adult. These people don't really like me. They just like the fact that I show up for them. So then is the distrust just fear of rejection or is there fear of being hurt and betrayal as well? I feel like it's all of it. Like I have an anxious, the anxious attachment style comes from the worry Mm -hmm. of no matter how good I am to you, Mm -hmm. you're going to change on me. Mm -hmm. So then if that's the case, because if you have an anxious, preoccupied attachment and your codependence is a characteristic and people pleasing is a characteristic as well, what are the experiences? Because I'm, and I can see where in your childhood, you probably developed that anxious, preoccupied Mm -hmm. attachment. But as far as like moments where you were betrayed or things like that, what were the experiences or maybe people who were influential in that 
in developing that attachment because it doesn't sound like it was just caregivers Mm-mm. or your parents. It sounds like it was a lot more influence. So outside of the church, because mm-hmm. we know that, but who else maybe I don't I want to say intensify the attachment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I had this really, really best friend, mm-hmm. and um we were best friends from middle school through high school, through college, and I moved. Um, And I always felt like she was my best friend. Mm -hmm. I think it took me a minute to realize after I can recall over events that maybe we weren't as close as I thought. Right. And I say that because um, I went through a lot of life changing events Mm -hmm. and the response was minimal as far as the capacity of how she showed up for me. Right. And then you have to take it to you. You can't expect people goes back to that thing. You can't expect people to move how you move. Right. Mm -hmm. But um. When she had life-changing events, I lived here. I would fly home to Michigan to show Mm -hmm. up. Or I would try to make my presence known through my mother. She's a saint. My mom was really that pillar that if I couldn't be there, hey, mom, show up for my friend for me. So in times where I was going through hard times, it just, it took me to a place of, why can't you be there for me the way I'm there for you? Mm -hmm. What did I do wrong? Um, I've begged for friendships before. I think that's why I like working with people in relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mainly because I work through it myself. There's no right. way I could be in the position that I am as a therapist without going, mm-hmm. working through my own mess. Right. And so I think with that, that friendship, it was another friendship because we were a group. Another friendship tied to that was, well, Theresa, you always get an attitude if you don't know stuff mm-hmm. quick enough. So I started doing heavy reflection on me. What am I doing to push people away? It's mm-hmm. got to be me. Mm-hmm. It can't be them. If everybody's saying the same thing, whether it's three to your attitude or everything got to go your way, what do I need to change? So the moment I felt like I was starting to change things about me and nothing else was changing on that end, it's just like nothing I ever do is good enough to make people stay. Mm. You said there was a need. That that particular best friend said there was a need. She's like, I need you to stop getting so angry so quickly. Right. I need us to talk through things. She got proposed and didn't tell me. And I'm like, I'm your best friend. Mm-hmm. What did I do that you wouldn't want to share that moment with me? What do I need to fix? Instead of blaming her, I said, what do I need to fix? And I think many times when people take it personal, they're like, well, what you do, what you like? No, I, I put the blame on me. Mm-hmm. There's something I must have done to make you not want to share that monumental moment. And she was just like, you, your attitude. Okay, let me fix it. Did everything I could to fix it like, as if she was my man. Because that was my female person. That was my right. best friend. And my cousin passed away. My aunt passed away. And it was an aunt that I live live with. It was aunt that treated her as her own niece. And um, all she did was show up to the friend and was like, I hope you feel better. And then never heard from her again. I was just coming in town to visit. Mm-hmm. I think that was the turning point for me to know, like, maybe I'm forcing mm-hmm. myself. That takes me to, I don't like forcing relationships. Right. Because I know I desire relationships, Mm -hmm. but that also keeps me at bay. So it's a triangle. I like relationships. Mm -hmm. I don't like forcing it. So I'd rather stay over here so I'm not forcing nothing that I like. Because if I don't get it, then I'm going to be hurt. Right. And I like connections. (laughs) So it's just like, and it don't help that, yes, this permanent guard gives me a resting face. But when I started talking and I started smiling, people were like, oh, you cool. Yeah. I'm like, I know I've been cool. I've always been cool. I just don't trust my coolness with you. So you self-sabotage. Yes. Dang, I've been hearing that a lot this week. <laughs> <laughs> so you you self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, I want the connection mm-hmm. with this person. 
And I, I consciously, I put this guard up mm-hmm. on purpose. So I, I find little things that can keep me away from truly connecting. But then I put myself in a cycle mm-hmm. that reinforces the belief that I can't trust you, even though it's me that's doing this. It's my assumptions mm-hmm. and me catastrophically thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. So your attachment. That's the scary part. It's like I be knowing. Yeah. That's why I go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you know what? But that's honest. Mm-hmm. You know, but then the other side is that uncertainty. Like, I can't predict what you're mm-hmm. actually going to do. So I'm afraid of that, too. So your fears cloud a lot of your judgment. Mm-hmm. My mantra for the past two months have been, do it scared. And I don't know what I did scared yet. But that's, that's, been, <laughs> that's been the thing I've been trying to go with. Like, do it scared, Teresa. Like, just try. Who Like, what's, what is it going to hurt? Right. And I think... When I think about the what is it going to hurt, my pride, the fact that I spoke up to maybe ask for a friendship. Mm-hmm. My best friend here, her name is Jade Hughes. I love her to death. I got made best friends with her after my brother betted me $100. I couldn't make a friend. <laughs> that is why we are 10, 11 years in the game. Because my brother said, I bet you $100 you can't make no friend. Because he he has a counseling background and he knew <laughs> that I was just going to be in Dallas, Texas with nobody. I was on the verge of moving back to Michigan. Like I couldn't handle just one trying to make a friend. That's really hard for me to say, hey, I'm Theresa. I'm from mm-hmm. Michigan. Can you be my friend? Yes. But that's exactly what I did to her. I was like, hi, I'm new here. She seemed like the nicest person in the class because we both started <laughs> our counseling uh, program together. And literally she was just like, oh, girl, I thought you were so mean. I'm so glad you talked to me. And I was like, dang. I don't see me. So I don't see yeah. how I'm looking. Yeah. I just know, I know my heart. Yeah. So I can know that I'm this cool chick. I'm right. fun to be around. I love to laugh, crack jokes. I want you to feel good when you're around right. me. Right. But if you don't know me, you can't see that just by staring at my resting <laughs> face. You know what I'm saying? The resting like, face is going to be like, oh, it's I don't like, want to go talk to you. And that's exactly <laughs> what she did. When she introduced herself to me in class, I said, my name is Theresa. And I turned around and she said, I flipped my ponytail. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I just said, my name's Theresa. But I wasn't thinking of how, you know, your first impressions could be, uh uh-uh. uh. Because mm-hmm. I do that to people like, dang, she looked mean. I don't want to talk to her. But then it's just like, I just want somebody to adopt me. Can somebody just adopt me as a friend? That's how I used to be. And I feel like that's what Jade is. But that goes back That's to great. the social anxiety right. piece of I have this desire to connect. I seen this person. She seemed really, really nice. Mm-hmm. But I was afraid. So I would just rather not talk to her. And I was crying on the phone with my brother, Nate. And he was just like, Teresa, $100. But see, in that, in that moment, you made appraisals in that moment to see what was the threat of allowing mm-hmm. yourself the opportunity cr- to create a connection. You did that with that friendship. Outside of the friendship, is it still hard for you to do that now to make the appraisals when that social anxiety is showing up, right? Mm -hmm. It's because there's a fear of judgment, possibly the assumption you're assuming the worst out of Mm -hmm. situations to see if this is really a threat to me. Is this a threat to my security, to my identity, to connect with this person? What's the risk if I allow myself to connect do you still do that now, just in other spaces? Do you ever take the time to process it that way? Or is it just like, nope, I'm not, I'm not going. I'm not connecting to anybody. That's a that's a good question. Um, if I could think about that now, it's really for me a matter of do I feel like going through this? Got it. And it could be, I could see you out in public, like, dang, she seemed really nice. We could be at a networking event, like, dang. Right. 
I should go up to her and talk to her. <laughs> no, mm. I don't feel like it because it's going to, I'm op- in my head, right? right? I'm awkward. I'm going to go up there like, hey, I'm Theresa. And it's just, and you could give me one look and not even catching on like, hey, oh, hi. And I'm going to hold on to the first look you gave me that didn't seem like it was of approval. And I'm like, see, this is why I don't fool people. And it's going to take mm. me back to a space of, I'm cool with the people I got. I don't need to make connections. That's where that goes. So in a sense, then you're projecting your negative self-perception of yourself onto people, assuming that they see you in that same lens. Mm -hmm. So what's your perception of yourself then? I I think for my perception of myself is I know I'm cool, but I always say I'm cool, but I'm not that cool because you can't see it unless you want to get to know me. Got it. And I think that's the thing. Not everybody wants to work with somebody. Right. And I think as a black woman in your 30s, I believe my opinion, nobody else's. Mm-hmm. I do believe it's, it's harder to make friends. It is. As, it is. Especially in the world we live in. In today's world. Yes. It is. So when I look at that, it's the perception of myself. I believe I am very cool. I am I'm loving. I'm mm-hmm. giving. Like I am worthy of a friend. Because right. I would want to be my friend. But I think the issue is... You have to be able to want to get to know me. Mm-hmm. And not everybody want to go through the work of relationships, period. Right. And so when I think about somebody, I had a, a former best friend who she would rather work through a relationship with a guy who stood her up several times as opposed to me. Yep. I'm just like, what? No. That, it's it, crazy how it makes we prioritize romantic relationships over friendships. And it's like you still have to use just about the same skills. Mm-hmm to maintain a friendship as well. Mm -hmm. In today's time, things are so superficial, right? And people attach insecurely already, right? Mm -hmm. We already have people who are bringing in insecurities, they're bringing in traumas, anxieties, fears, things like that, and they're trying to establish a bond in a friendship, and it's not going to work. Because I think a lot of people also don't test the compatibility Mm -hmm. when they're making friends. It's all about how this connection or this attachment makes me feel. Mm -hmm. When I'm meeting somebody, friendships, and we're only speaking of friendships, when I'm meeting a person, I see that we have shared interests. Mm -hmm. Okay, you like the same thing. I like this. I like this same color. We're having fun. Chemistry is there. But what are you doing? What's the deeper work that you're doing to make sure that you align to be Mm -hmm. able to create a friendship? People need to understand that attachments, having an attachment to somebody and bonding it's completely different. And there's still a chemistry that happens between two people outside of romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And that chemistry that you have with a person, just because you share certain interests and things like that, doesn't mean that you're compatible in regards to friendships. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand that. It's like the same tools that you'll use for a romantic relationship. You need that mm-hmm. in I a agree. friendship as well. Because we can honestly say that Friendship breakups hurt deeply. Ooh. They almost feel like they're worse than a romantic relationship mm-hmm. because although we say a romantic our romantic partners know us deeply, like although we say they know us, they know our vulnerabilities and things like that, there's a difference mm-hmm. between a friend. We probably connected on much deeper conversations. I agree. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with your friend, Trin. 
she helped me. She talks a lot about friendships. Mm -hmm. She helped me through a lot of my tears. Uh, like, there are different tiers of friendships. Mm -hmm. And I think the manner of which she broken down how, you know, you have some people that are your, your lifelong friends. Yes. And I think even deeper with my mother teaching me, like, your friend is your friend regardless. I can get mad at each other, but right. y'all circle back. Right. Y'all can be on the baddest of terms, but y'all mm -hmm. circle back. Y'all won't bash each other. Mm -hmm. Y'all will still remain true, but y'all might not talk. Mm -hmm. um, and I think with the tears of friendships, when you know that, it's like the understanding of everybody has a season. Right. Even when you don't want that season to end, right. you can notice that the weather's changing. Right. Even when you want to hold on to the summer, mm -hmm. you're still going to hold on. <laughs> like, hey, the weather's changing. Right. You, you can't. <laughs> right. And I think that's with friendships. Right. You can see that friendship deteriorating. Right. And a lot of my friendships that has deteriorated, because I'm being transparent, I've lost a lot of friends where mm -hmm. I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. Especially because I'm always a person that writes my wrongs. So mm -hmm. if it's something I did, help me figure it out. Right. Well, how can we fix this? Because to me, I'm putting my friendships on, almost on the same level of romantic partnerships. Right. Because if that partnership doesn't work out, I always could come back to y'all and right. have a comfort space. But um, it's a matter of everybody's not supposed to go to every chapter with you. Yes. And I didn't, I don't, I'm still struggling with that right now. Like, what you mean? And you know what? I had to realize that was okay. Mm. I used to be a person who was codependent mm. deep into it. It's almost like I was trying to buy love from people. I'm mm. always being available, buying you gifts, showering you. I'm trying to do all that because I wanted that. I could admit that in some of my friendships, I was not a good friend. Mm. I wasn't the person to pick up the phone and call you and see how you're doing. Mm. I would ghost a lot because I'm like, I got some other stuff going on. I'm not prioritizing this. And sometimes I put my romantic relationships over my, over my friendships mm. and neglect the fact that they had needs as well as friends. Mm -hmm. Now, I've had some friends that just went sour because they went sour on their end. Mm -hmm. But I've always to my core knew that if I ever said I loved you, whether you were a friend or a romantic partner, I probably really did. I probably did. Some romantic partners I didn't. I just realized <laughs> that, you know, it's just feelings. Mm -hmm. But friends, and that's the reason why the friendships that did fail that I had, whether they did me wrong or I did them wrong, I couldn't bash them. I can't tell your secrets. I can't open up what it is that you said about me because at one point mm -hmm. I truly believed that we were friends. Mm -hmm. Some of my friends never could accept the fact that once we ended, I wasn't allowing it to come back. Mm -hmm. And that was simply a choice of mine. And that came from me seeing friendships that I did allow to come back, but you really didn't put in any effort to show that you're, you've worked on yourself. Mm -hmm. Time apart doesn't mean that you've resolved what it is that you have gone through on the inside. Mm -hmm. And time apart doesn't mean that we have restored or actually faced what it is that we need to work through. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a friend who reached out to me a couple of months ago. She told me that she missed me and I never responded to it. Never, it never even opened a message. I just read the first part of it and I didn't open it because on my end, I was truly a friend. I was always there for you. I listened to you no matter what it was that I was going through. I was always truly a friend. You cut me off because I set boundaries. That's what it was. You cut me off because I was no longer that person that you can rely on and constantly bring all of your trauma to me. I didn't mm. want to be that emotional cushion. Anymore. That was the boundaries that I set. So I stopped taking those phone calls at one, two, three o'clock in the morning. I stopped listening to the same problems you were having with the same guy because you wanted to complain and vent, but there was no actual actions within you. And it was kind of pulling me in and sucking me in sometime. Mm. So there were moments where I realized I was a bad friend. And there were moments where I realized 
I was more of the friend and I didn't need to be in that. That definitely is something that hurts in our adult years. Yes. And, and establishing new friendships is a, is a lot harder mm-hmm. because we know for women, like I, that's one thing I will say about men. I love that about them. Mm-hmm. Like they don't usually lose a lot of friendships <laughs> because everything, they don't never get really too deep. It's not like they don't get deep, but not as much as we do. Mm-hmm. And men don't typically personalize things the way that we do as well. I agree. It's like, I, I'm personalizing this whether I have to think it through. It's just like, you know, what about me? You know, I'm, I'm your girl. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that can create problems. But I, I do I do completely understand where you are in regards to your friendships now. Yeah. And it's, it's still a learning curve, especially with the sense of everything you just stated, like the friend reached out and you felt like she was just emotionally... As a therapist, mm-hmm. I do not want to therapize my friends. <laughs> like, I love that I am this person that my friends could be able to call on. But I think a lot of it is I am blessed to see at least about sometimes five to six clients in a day. And I think right. that's a blessing for me just starting right. off by myself. Um, a lot of times I intake a lot of secondhand trauma. Yes. And I don't see my therapist as often as I should, even mm. though I go to therapy. Mm. I see her give or take. Every other month. Yes. And that's if I'm keeping up with my appointments. So a lot of times if a, not a client, if a friend is calling me after I have a long day, I have poor boundaries with saying, I don't feel like hearing this right, right now. I let them dump mm-hmm. and dump and dump. And now I'm annoyed with you because I allowed it. Mm-hmm. And so it's another self-check on me is why aren't you saying, hey, no, I, it's been a long day. I can't talk to nobody no more after eight o'clock because mm-hmm. I was taking clients till um, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Ooh. Just trying to gain my momentum as yeah. being an entrepreneur. Yes. So um, taking on clients' problems where I'm actually, not to say I'm not invested in my friends' problems, where I'm actually invested doing research and work yes. to help you with your problem. Mm. Coming back to a friend who, mm. as you said, a friend that's going back to the same issue and not willing to do no work. I'm frustrated because I'm saying, why are you calling me if you're not going to change the situation? Right. I can't be your dumping ground no more. Right. But Moody never says that. She just listens and then she's internally frustrated. Right. Now I'm projecting, spilling out in other areas where I'm constantly angry and irritable because I'm just consuming so much with no outlet. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm glad you said that because I don't think people realize when we do take clients, there's a lot that we have to take in. Mm-hmm. We are helping people process their emotional baggage. We're helping them process their trauma. We are trying to give tools for mm-hmm. you to be able to do that. That's just not like us sitting down being a homegirl giving you an opinion. <laughs> it's not. We can't do that because it's unethical for us to just give an opinion or give advice. We're literally going by what is scientifically based mm-hmm. or what is research based to be able to give it to you. And then we have to see which tools we can give you. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of processing to do in a 60 or 55 minute session. Mm-hmm. And if you're working with couples in 75 to 90 minutes mm-hmm. of working with two, there is so much that you have to take in. And I think that's the reason why with me, I'm not, I'm not moved to create new friendships. Mm-hmm. Like I make that very clear. We can go to brunch. We can have a good time and stuff like that, but I'm not really moved to create something deeper because I know me. And it's not that I would in, like intentionally try to keep myself away from you. It's just that this is a lot to process in one day. Mm-hmm. I even had to, I think my husband had to realize that about me as well. There's a lot to take out of me. And when I'm going back to back sessions, sometimes the, the sessions are so intense mm. that it's like when you're done, you literally have to say, oh, oh God. <laughs> 
And it's so much to process, right? And then we have to do notes. And mm-hmm. sometimes when you're preparing for the next session, progress notes, it's so much that goes into it. So when you're done, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, at the end of the day, and on top of that, I run classes almost mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly having to help people in classes. When you're doing that, it's like, what else do I have to give? And then, so for friendships, you know, it's very easy to feel neglected. But it's like, look, don't don't personalize these personalize these boundaries that I have. Yeah. I have these emotional, time and physical boundaries, even conversational boundaries, because I need to protect my mindset. I need to protect my emotional well-being. It has nothing to do with you. But if I'm absorbing all of this emotional baggage, mm-hmm. all of this trauma, I'm working through your anxiety. I'm working through your depressions. I'm trying to help you develop a stronger sense of self. I'm working through all of these problems. And it is taking and draining me emotionally to the point that's like, I just can't give it. I'm zapped mm-hmm. mentally. I am mentally and emotionally exhausted. It has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that if people stop personalizing it and really understand and empathize with your friend or the person that you're involved with, it'll make a lot more sense for you to understand. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if you don't have that line of work, you won't understand it. Conversational boundaries is something I just, first time hearing it, I need to practice that. Yeah. Because with, I used to work at a high school. I resigned during the summer because I wanted to do my practice full time. Mm -hmm. So when I was saying I was seeing clients eight o'clock and nine o'clock at night, because I didn't get out Mm. of school until four or five o'clock. And I was doing dismissal duty and arrival duty, rain, sleet, snow, even though snow ain't here. But ice storms, we, ice storms I was outside, okay? So imagine being with kids all day, and I love my kids. I miss them to mm-hmm. death. Being with them, listening to their high school and middle school problems, because y'all know how it is. Y'all going, well, she don't like me, and he broke up with me, and that's what I used oh to deal God. with all in the day. And then to deal with the adults and their problems. By the time I got home, I was, I was full. Right. And not in a good way. Right. It was just, I was full with no outlet to release. Right. But still, still trying to feel like I was being a good friend if my friend called me and sit on the phone with her three, four hours if she needed to talk and vent because mm. that's what I'm supposed to do. But mm. then I feel punished if I don't answer my phone for a couple of days mm-hmm. because I'm on information overload. And it's like, well, you said you was having a bad day and why didn't you answer my call? Because I was tired. And you know what? And I'm I'm glad you said that because then we have to look at the layers with Mm -hmm. this as well. So for me, conversational boundaries, my conversational boundaries is I don't like the gossip. That's Mm -hmm. one thing. I don't like drama. Mm -hmm. I don't like the gossip. I also don't like to talk about people's personal problems unless I know that you are really putting in the effort to change whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Even with my family, it was hard for my family to adjust to those boundaries. And I was fine Mm -hmm. with that. A lot of people didn't speak to me for a while. And I was absolutely, absolutely okay. But that was because, because I used to be anxiously attached. With building and finding that security within yourself and learning how to navigate as a securely attached person, people who have their own insecure attachments will never understand that until they come out of it or they're doing the work to do so. So a lot of people had attachments to me and they didn't understand my security and self. I'm okay to communicate with you that I'm not going to Except phone calls after eight o'clock. Hmm. I'm absolutely okay because I know the reason why. I know what I know what I have to do as far as far as my mind and trying to reestablish and get back to a grounded place. Mm-hmm. I understand it. Plus, I need that time for mind for practice. But I also understand I don't want to have conversations with gossip. 
because it's too much and I don't mm -hmm. want to talk about people. That's not my character. So I will cut those conversations off mm -hmm. because I don't want to talk about it. Some people will personalize that. I have no control over what you don't like or how you choose to respond to that. I have control over what it is that I need. Mm -hmm. My boundaries are made to protect me, but I'm respectful when I communicate those boundaries. I still have empathy, but I use assertive communication. Some mm -hmm. people don't know how to take that. Mm. And it really falls back down to personalization when people personalize it. But you show me how much you love and respect me just by honoring my boundaries. Mm -hmm. They're not harsh boundaries. They're not made to punish you. Mm -hmm. They're No, but they're not loose either. They're very healthy boundaries to have. Yeah. And it's, but you need that. Mm -hmm. You need boundaries in every theme of life. You need your boundaries. Mm -hmm. So what, what's your struggle with boundaries? Why? It's the, I'm afraid to lose you. Like in that that simple moment, I had uh, with you just saying, you know, the conversation boundaries, you don't want to hear gossip. I don't like hearing negativity. Mm -hmm. Like it's in the midst of the field and I'm in, like, because I hear a lot of heavy stuff. Negativity, my ears are my portals to my spirit. And it's just yes. like, it brings me down it so does. bad. And I think sometimes I'll just, okay, just listen, just to feel like, I don't want to be rude, but I, with you just saying this right now, I don't realize how much it's taken away from myself and it's draining me. Mm -hmm. I had a friend where I had a moment to, I had a moment where I was consumed with a lot with work. I was going through a lot. And all I said to her was like, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm having a bad day. Nothing's wrong. Just pray for me. Simple prayer, simple ask. And then the next moment, the next day she called. Um, I didn't answer because I didn't want to talk. Mm -hmm. It was me just resting and processing. I had therapy that day. Right. So I was trying to process the day before and mm -hmm. then just move forward because holding on to things is my crutch. Mm -hmm. I have to let go. So I was trying right. to figure out a way to let go. Long story short, she called me. She was like, you haven't been answering my calls. I'm worried about you. And I chuckled. I was like, why are you worried about me? <laughs> she was like, because you, you said you weren't having a bad day. And I said, did you pray? Mm -hmm. She said, yeah. I was like, all right. I'm good. I was like, how did this become about you? <laughs> but Very that, that was a caveat to months later. We got into mm -hmm. a huge blow up. And she's like, how is it that when I didn't answer the, like going off on me? And I'm just stuck. Like, she's like, but I checked on you. You said I made it about me. And I'm just like, so we're holding on to things. Mm -hmm. And I said, what, what you won't do is keep me in the space that I've grown from. Right. And I don't love her to death, but I still don't think she understands right. what that means. Do not keep me in spaces that I've grown from. Exactly. Moody knows she has a bad attitude at times. Okay. I know <laughs> I need to correct myself before right. I respond to people. When I'm irritated, I need not to respond. Right. But something in my brain tells me I have to respond to people. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're going to be waiting on me. Going back to that people-pleasing issue. Right. But then I'm responding to you irritated. And you ain't even had nothing to do with my pain, mm -hmm. but it's just because I had, I felt like I had to. And this is why it's so, it's so good when we work through our fears and we work through our patterns, especially in our subconscious coping mechanisms. It's so important that we do that because they, they keep us in a space that we should not mm -hmm. be in. For instance, when it comes to like your fears, you operating within those fears, um, that's going to keep you down. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm afraid that you're going to leave me. But why am I afraid you're going to leave me? And if why you leave me, 
then what? Mm-hmm. You know, even when it comes to boundaries, one of the activities that I'm always doing with clients when work on boundaries is an if and then activity. Mm-hmm. We look at best case and worst case scenario. Most time we look at the worst case scenario, mm-hmm. right? If this happens or, you know, if I establish this boundary, then what? And as we look through the worst case scenario, then they're going to leave me. Mm-hmm. And then what? And then I'm going to be alone. And then and what? Then and then I'm going to be miserable. Okay, let's look at the best case scenario. If I set this boundary, then what? Then I'm going to be upset. Okay, then what? Then I'll communicate to them why I set the boundary. Okay. And then what? Then they'll understand. Mm-hmm. All right. And then what? Then we'll stay connected. If you look at the best case scenario and we stop catastrophizing situations, it's a lot more easier, but you have to be able to communicate as Mm -hmm. well. But you can't operate within those fears because if the fear of abandonment or fear of rejection, fear of hurt, fear of commitment, fear of intimacy shows up, you're going to draw back. You're Mm -hmm. going to avoid. And then also you're people pleasing, Mm -hmm. especially you prioritizing the happiness over other people and pedestalizing them. What makes you so undeserving of putting yourself on that same pedestal? Mm -hmm. You're deserving of putting yourself on that pedestal. When I broke my people, please, I had to realize that. Why are you on this pedestal? We have the same characteristics. Hmm. I'm dope. You're <laughs> dope. I'm a great person. You're a great person. I'm fun. You're fun. Why am I not on that same pedestal? Mm-hmm. Why are you higher than me? I'm deserving to be up there as well. You advocate for yourself. You prioritize your needs. Why am I not prioritizing mine? I had to get into breaking those patterns. Like, you know what? I had to start telling myself, giving myself affirmations to trick my brain, Mm. to change my brain, to change my psyche and say, I'm deserving of this. Mm. I'm good enough for this. I'm worthy of this. And as you continue to do it, it becomes such a habit. It's like automatic. You put yourself in a space and your brain says automatically, you're worthy of that. You're right. I'm right there. Side by side with you. Hey, what's up? I like Mm. to be on this level with you. Mm That's so interesting. I used to li- listen to this um, audio affirmation by Abram Hicks mm-hmm. that says, I decided I'm a good person and I deserve good things to happen mm-hmm. to me. And I used to repeat that to myself every morning until I stop. I probably need to do it again. But you're right. I unconsciously put a lot of people in my life on pedestals mm-hmm. because why is how I view them. It takes me back to what my boyfriend stated last night of, you're expecting people to love in the capacity that you love. Come on. And I was shocked because, one, he's learning me. (laughs) And I'm like, Mike, what you mean? And he's like, I ain't trying to say this. Hold on. Because he didn't want me to be able to say He's like, you can't expect people to be you and then you get mad at them for not being you. And I I was probably quiet the whole night. And I'm I'm not that that quiet. Mm. And I just, it made me reflect on myself. And it's so interesting because I was coming here today and I'm like, I feel like this probably is going to come up in some way. And it has. In every question, it seems like I want to make sure that I'm on the same pedestal that I put people on, if not mm-hmm. above. Because even when I'm talking to my clients, I do this comparison things. I'm like, man, why do you keep, you're right here. Every time you try to meet somebody where they are, you're yeah. kind of bringing yourself down. Oh. I wonder what it would mean to just pull yourself up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, boom, I could tell you that. But then I struggle with it. Yeah. But then that's why I try to tell my clients. I do have clients who challenge me like, so what you do to work on yourself? I go to therapy. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am no saying. I am not right. about to come here and work with you with your stuff right. if I'm not working through mine. So it's the pedestal thing. I think that's going to stick with me for a little bit. And you know what? It's easy for us to tell clients one thing. But the in, in our subconscious mind, the way that it operates, we make, we make subconscious attempts, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes in those subconscious attempts, we try to stay in those familiar dynamics, right? And so 
for you, the people pleasing is familiar, mm -hmm. right? You know what comes with pleasing a person. You don't know what comes if you don't prioritize a person, right? You don't know what's on the opposite side. If I don't people please, if I don't prioritize your needs or your happiness, if I don't put you on a pedestal, what could possibly happen? Am I ready to take that mm -hmm. risk? So I think for you, because you're able to tell clients, mm -hmm. and that's really good, but for you, really focusing on those subconscious attempts, what is my subconscious mind attempting to do? Mm -hmm. It is trying to protect me in what type of way? Mm -hmm. Protecting me from, from experiencing something different because I don't know the risk that comes with it. Mm -hmm. A lot of that, I, I train a lot of my clients uh, with navigating and mapping out their subconscious mind mm -hmm. because it it's your memory, basically, is what it is. Mm -hmm. And whatever is stored in your memory, even if you try your hardest, unless you actually do the work, it's going to try to repeat itself. Mm -hmm. I have to make sense of what's going on. I can't make sense of what's going on if I'm not familiar with it. Mm -hmm. But in the subconscious mind, it's like we can make sense of this. We've seen this before. Right. We know what's going to happen on the other side. Mm -hmm. On the other side, it's like, mm, there's that unpredictability. I don't know what's actually going to happen. But that was definitely some of the things I even had to do for myself mm -hmm. to break myself from people pleasing and stuff like that. I had a great, 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 great mentor before I even started my practice. I had an amazing mentor. And I remember he's the one that kind of pretty much checked me. Hmm. And I know when I had to sit down and think about it, I'm like, first of all, you don't know me like that. But then it came out like, yeah, kitty, you do that. You, you, mm -hmm. you actually do that. And he made a good point. How do you expect to help other people if you don't help yourself? I operated so much in my victimhood. I operated so much in a victim mentality that I couldn't understand other people. And I also couldn't understand my impact mm -hmm. on my relationships mm -hmm. where I fell short in my codependency. Mm -hmm. And my victim mentality and my poor boundaries and my people pleasing mm -hmm. and my attachment. It was so much work to break through, mm -hmm. but it's rewarding to be able to do that. Now, all of this, you've identified fears. You've identified a lot. Yeah, Thank you so I much. I'm a little open, but <laughs> <laughs> you're in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Has any of this affected your relationship or had an impact on it? I believe in the beginning, as far as how I viewed him. Mm -hmm. um, he loves me out loud. That man is amazing. And I've never experienced the way he loves me. Mm -hmm. So it's the battle of what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. When is the real you going to show up? Mm -hmm. Is this really <laughs> you? And then interacting with his family, you know, seeing like, dang, it's really him. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. It's too good to be true. To the point mm -hmm. where he... We have this thing to where before I could say, he said, yes, I still love you. Yes, I still want to be with you. I know you asked me a thousand times today and I'm going to reassure you a thousand <laughs> times a day. Any, any previous man that I've dealt with with my overthinking because it's bad, like, oh, mm -hmm. like why I got to deal with this? That's why I said to get to know me is to love me, but you just got to be patient. Mm -hmm. And everybody don't want to do the work and that's cool. I don't want to make you work for something you don't want. I get it, but I'm worth the work. Mm -hmm. And he's the first man to show me that I'm worth the work. And I think... What our conversation that just happened last night where I was upset about something that was so small, nothing yeah. to do with him. Yeah. He was just like, can I say something? Mm -hmm. And I think even with him saying, can I say something, it's him watching me reactive to if somebody got something to say about right. Teresa and her behavior. It's like, mm -mm, I don't want to blow up on him. So when he told me, he was just like, I'm just saying he kind of like this because he's a jokester. Mm -hmm. But it really put me in the here and the now of, He's somebody that is learning me. That's an outside perspective. Mm -hmm. 
he could be my blind spot. Like right. that's my blind spot. He just revealed it. Cause I mm-hmm. go over the Johari window a lot with my clients. What mm-hmm. is known to yourself and mm-hmm. not known to others. And that blind spot is really what I like to focus on. But it's really on the strength of he just revealed my blind spot to me. Right. I didn't realize I was that reactively mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. I just thought everybody just irritated me. Mm-hmm. But it's just like when he formed it into just what did he say to me? He said, you are going to have the type of love that your mom and dad had. Just trust me. And I'm just like, okay. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't done anything to make me question that. Right. So it really goes back to how I view myself. Am I worthy enough for what he's willing to give me? Mm-hmm. And can I trust what he's showing me? Right. And the good thing about it, you said you spoke on patience. But the thing about it is with you asking for patience, you're actually doing work. Mm-hmm. Because some people ask for patience. And there's no work that's truly being done. And Mm -hmm. it goes on years and years of the same behavior patterns, of the same outbursts, of the same responses and things like that. But the thing is, is that you're doing the work, which provides some type of security for him and knowing that Mm -hmm. I can be patient with her. I can trust this process. Because even with a person who's, you know, having to reaffirm or give that reassurance constantly and things like that, it can be an emotional burden with them. And then it can also make them question themselves. Am I good enough for mm-hmm. you? Am I capable of this as well? Mm-hmm. But at least he has that. Oh, yeah. That security and knowing that she's doing work. So it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I think the benefit is I am doing the work mm-hmm. and I'm trying to tell him and show him like, I'm right. just trying. Just work with me, please. He's like, you ain't got to say please. I got you. Right. It was those three words. I got you. Right. I trust that he got me. I just have to trust that I got myself too. Right. With Theresa, I appreciate this transparency. This was this <laughs> felt amazing. I told you. I told you. <laughs> what you want to know, just ask. Like, I just want people to see one, the authenticity of a therapist. Yes. That's not in the therapist seat. Yes. That's and you it. know what's crazy is that I had that moment <laughs> and my assistant was telling me that she's like, they never get to see you. Mm-hmm. In a vulnerable moment like that because I'm always teaching. Mm. And so they never get to see me. It's always like, I'm teaching you how to work through this, how to navigate this. But you never get to see me in a vulnerable moment. Mm-hmm. So being able to see you in a vulnerable moment <laughs> was therapeutic and it's really good. And I know for a fact there's going to be someone that can finally say, you know what? I, I feel seen. I feel validated mm-hmm. by what it is that she shared. So I really do appreciate you for that. Thank you. I'm, a, I'm just appreciative for the experience <laughs> of actually being open and vulnerable yes. and sitting in a seat that I know my clients feel all the time. Right. Because they ask me questions about me and right. I'm like, you good? Let's get yeah, yeah. moving. Let's focus on you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly what I do. And back to you. We good. <laughs> exactly. But you know, we got to protect ourselves sometimes. Yes. Right? <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in again to another episode of Talk to Me, Kitty. I wish you all the best. Happy healing and happy, healthy relationships. Bye, babies.